إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد ستكنتينيو بلوغ المرام Abu al-Hafidh ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala we're now on the hadith of Suraqa ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu qal a'allamana rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi al-khala' an naq'uda ala al-yusra wa nansib al-yumna rawahu al-bayhaqiyu bisanadin da'if this hadith of Suraqa ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu he narrates that the Prophet ﷺ, he taught us that when we are in the toilet, when we are in the area where you're going to relieve yourself, that we should sit on the left side, the weight should be placed on the left side, and the right side, the right leg should be upright. The explanation will come how that sitting is to be done. But this hadith is narrated by Al-Bayhaqi with a weak chain of narration. So firstly we have Suraqa ibn Malik the narrator. He is Suraqa ibn Malik ibn Ju'shum ibn Ju'shum radiyallahu anhu wa kana min al-ru'asa'i al-mashhurin fi qabilatihi. And he was one of the big leaders in his tribe. Um, he says, "Allamana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Prophet ﷺ taught us when we go to the toilet or we go to the area where it is hidden from the sight of the people, where we can conceal ourselves, that أَنْ نَقْعُدَ عَلَى الْيُسْرَ وَنَنْصِبَ الْيُمْنَى أي أَنْ يَقْعُدَ مَنْ يَقْضِ حَاجَتَهُ عَلَى رِجْلِهِ الْيُسْرَ وَيَعْتَمِدْ عَلَيْهَا That the person when he sits down, he puts his weight on his left leg. وَأَنْ يَنْسِبَ الْيُمْنَا فَلَا يَعْتَمِدْ عَلِيهَا And that he puts the right leg in a, a type of upright position, so he's not leaning on his right leg. The weight isn't on his right leg, the weight is on his left leg. That's where the weight is, and the other one is upright, so he's not actually sitting on that one or putting weight on that one. The left side is the one that he sits on and puts the weight on, but the right side he makes it upright, and he doesn't put the weight on it. The scholars they said, The wisdom behind doing it that way, that when you sit, the weight is on the left side, and the right side is upright, so there's no weight on that side. The reasoning for that, That when a person sits like that, it is easier for the excrement to exit from a person. It's easier for the person to use the toilet that way and for the items to exit from his body, the waste that needs to exit for him to relieve himself. It's easier to do it when the weight is being placed on the left leg and he is uh, sitting on that left leg and the right leg is upright and the weight isn't on that side. The scholars, they say that makes it easier for the, uh, a person to relieve himself. لأن المعدة في الجانب الأيسر because 
the stomach, the area where the food is, the intestines, where it comes out from, that is on the left side of a person. The area where that waste will come out from, the stomach, the intestines, that type of body organ is on that side of the body. فَإِذَا اَعْتَمَدَ عَلَى رِجْلِهِ الْيُسْرَ كَانَ ذَلِكَ أَسْهَلُ لِخُرُوجِ الْخَارِجِ So if he was to sit and put the weight on his left side, the side where those areas are, those body organs are for the relieving of oneself, then it will become easier for him to relieve himself. هَذَا مِنَ النَّاحِيَةَ الطِبِّيَّةِ This is from a medical perspective. أَمَّا مِنَ النَّاحِيَةَ الْأَدَبِيَّةِ فَقَدْ سَبَقَ بِأَنْ ذَكَرْنَا أَنَّ الْيُسْرَى هِيَ الَّتِي تُسْتَعْمَلُ لِإِزَالَةِ الْأَذَى فَيَعْتَمَدُ عَلَيْهَا Medically speaking, that's what some of the people have mentioned. That it's easier for you to relieve yourself when the pressure or the weight is put onto the left side of the body on the left leg. Islamically speaking, from the morals of Islam, that we've already mentioned, that the left side is the side that is used for cleaning yourself, for purifying yourself. We already mentioned that you clean yourself with your left hand after relieving yourself. So this is the same thing. When sitting to use the toilet, then you put the weight onto the left side. Just like the other factors we mentioned about doing it with your left side. As for the right side, then like we mentioned, that is used for the good things, for the pure things. Whereas the left side is used for the opposite of that, and that's why a person leans on his left side. فَالْحِكْمَةِ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ مَجْمُوعُ الْأَمْرَيْنِ أَنَّ فِيهِ نَاحِيَةَ طِبِّيَّةَ وَهِيَ صَهُولَةُ خُرُوجِ الْخَارِجِ وَنَاحِيَةَ أَدَبِيَّةَ وَهِيَ اسْتِعْمَالُ الْيُسْرَى لِقَضَاءِ الْحَاجَةِ وَإِعْفَاءُ الرَّجُلِ الْيُمْنَى So maybe there are two reasons together why it's been mentioned that you should sit in that way. One, because medically there are some things which have been stated regarding that, that it's easier to use the toilet when sitting on the left side, when putting the weight onto the left side. Obviously you are going to be on both legs, but the weight is on the left side, and the right leg is somewhat upright, and the weight isn't on it. That is medically stated that it's easier for you to use the toilet in that position. And similarly, like we said, it is the left side that is used in those types of situations of uh, items that are not pure. Uh, So this relieving of yourself is an item that is not pure. So therefore you use the left side to lean upon. So the hadith, it indicates two issues. Al-mas'alatul ula, anna fihi adaban min adabi qada'il haja, wa huwa li'itimadu ala rijli al-yusra, the first issue is, as we've just mentioned now, that it explains you're supposed to lean on your left leg and not your right one. The right one is supposed to be lifted up and raised up, and the left one is supposed to be put flat down on you, or, or that is the one that the weight goes onto. The second point to be taken from this narration is the point that this religion, it is a complete religion. 
And it's an important point to remember. This religion of Islam, it is a complete religion that encompasses all of the affairs to the extent that in this narration it even tells you, it even tells you how to sit when relieving yourself. That indicates the all-encompassing nature of this religion, how it covers all of the various aspects. And that is why Allah said in the Qur'an, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ That on this day I have completed the religion for you. The religion is complete in all aspects. وَأَحْكَامُهُ شَامِلَ لِكُلِّ مَا يَحْتَاجُهُ الْبَشَرِ And the rulings of Islam, they are comprehensive and inclusive of all of that which a person needs. وَلِذَلِكَ تَعَجَّبَ بَعْضُ الْيَهُودِ فَقَالَ And that's why one of the Jews, he was surprised by this, amazed, and he said, نَبِيُّكُمْ عَلَّمَكُمْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَتَّى الْخِرَاءَ That your Prophet has taught you everything, even the relieving of yourself. قَالُوا أَجِلْ They said, of course, of course. لَقَدْ عَلَّمَنَا كَذَا وَكَذَا وَكَذَا He has taught us such and such and such and such and such and such. فَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَى شَمُولِ هَذِهِ الشَّرِيعَةِ وَكَمَالِهَا وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ So this is an evidence upon the comprehensive and inclusive nature of the Sharia that it covers all of the various aspects. However, we mentioned that Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar said this chain of narration for this hadith is weak. Al-Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafidhahullah ta'ala says, هَذَا لَا يَمْنَعْ مِنَ الْإِسْتِدْلَالِ بِهِ عَلَى هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ He says that doesn't prevent us from using it as an evidence upon this issue. لأنها من فضائل الأعمال ويستدل بالحديث ضعيف على ما كان من فضائل الأعمال ومن الآداب ولا يستدل به على تأسيس حكم حكم شرعي ومن تحليل أو تحريم. That is because some of the scholars have mentioned that when it is an issue of virtues, there is a virtue in a certain affair. There are some good manners mentioned in a certain affair, morals, behaviors. Then in those types of instances, you can use these narrations to bring out some points. But the point is that with these weak narrations, you do not use them to establish rulings upon, to establish halal and haram upon them. You do not use these types of narrations to establish halal and haram. But for the sake of virtues, something virtuous, something with good manners in it, like this here now, to lean on your left side instead of the right side, some of the scholars, they allow it to pass. And in reality, many of the scholars, they said, there is no need for us to use weak hadith at all. There are enough authentic narrations in any case. But this is what the, some of the scholars have mentioned. After that, عن عيسى ابن يزداد عن أبيه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا بال أحدكم فلينتر ذكره ثلاث مرات رواه ابن ماجه بسند ضعيف عيسى ابن يزداد and his name is يزداد even though some of them they say أزداد عن أبيه he narrates from his father who is this Yazdad or sometimes known as Azdad he said that if one of you urinates 
if one of you urinates, فَلْيَنْثُرْ ذَكَرَهُ ثَلَاثًا فَلْيَنْثُرْ ذَكَرَهُ ثَلَاثًا أي فَلْيَعْصِرْ ذَكَرَهُ بِيَدِهِ الْيُسْرَى بِأَنْ يَضْغَطَ عَلَيْهِ حَتَّى يَخْرُجْ مَا تَبَقَّى مِنَ الْبَوْلِ فِي الْقَضِيبِ لِأَلَّا يَخْرُجْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَيُنَجِّسُهُ فَهُوَ مِنْ بَابِ الْإِسْتِبْرَاءِ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ This hadith mentions that when a person urinates, then afterwards you should use your left hand to wipe the private area where, where you have urinated. To squeeze the private area where, he, where you have urinated to make sure that all of the urine has come out. And there's nothing left in the, uh, inside of the private area that may then come out afterwards. So once you finish, this hadith mentions that you squeeze that private area to remove any urine that may still be left just inside the private area. And that is to make sure that all of it is out. So that you don't clean yourself and then walk away and then the last few drops they come out that were inside of the private area. لَكِنْ أَنَّتَرْ فِيهِ مَضَرَّةِ قَالُوا لِأَنَّهُ يَدْرِ الْبَوْلِ فَالْبَوْلِ إِذَا تَرَكْتَهُ قَرْ وَإِذَا حَرَّكْتَهُ دَرْ فَالنَّتَرْ يُسَبِّبْ نُزُولِ الْبَوْلِ وَيُسَبِّبُ الْوَسْوَاسِ النَّتَرْ That is to squeeze firmly. That, if a person wants to do that, to go to the level where he begins to squeeze firmly, etc., with the private parts, then if he goes beyond the limits, that can be harmful. That can be harmful to an individual. And in fact, it can make a person become suspicious of himself. Whispers come to the person then. Have I fully got rid of all of it or not? So, the scholars, they mention, yes, that a person can gently remove what is left from the private parts. To try to remove what is left from the private parts. But not to go to an extreme where the individual begins to squash the private parts in order to remove anything left. That can be a position that, or a state that causes harm to the person and can cause whispers to arrive to that person as a consequence of extremism in trying to purify himself. Also, this hadith is narrated by a weak generation because within it is Isa ibn Yazdad and his father, and both of them are actually majhul. لذا فإنه لا يثبت بحكم That's why this hadith, you cannot actually take a ruling from it. So bear that in mind. This hadith is with a weak chain of narration. And therefore a ruling cannot be derived from it. قَالَ شَيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بِنُ تَيْمِيَ That squeezing the private parts to remove the urine, it's an innovation. لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَثْبُتْ بِهِ دَلِيلٍ Because there is no evidence for that. وَلَكِنْ أَحْوَالُ النَّاسِ تَخْدَلِفٍ But the situations of the people are different. فَمَنْ كَانَ يَحْتَاجُ إِلَى النَّتَرْ فَإِنَّهُ يَفْعَلُهُ لِلْحَاجَةِ So if somebody knows their own body and they know that there are droplets and he needs to squeeze the private areas to get rid of them, then he can do so because of that need. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْتَجْ إِلَيْهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَفْعَلُهُ And as for a person who does not require to do that, 
he knows he can purify himself and there's nothing else and there's no issue, then he does not do that. وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الْحَاجَةِ فَقَطْ That is only for the purpose of need and necessity. وَعَلَى كُلِّ حَالْ تَجَنُّبُهُ مَهْمَا أَمْكَنْ أَحْسَنْ لِلْإِنسَانِ لِأَنَّهُ يُسَبِّبُ لَهُ إِدْرَارَ الْبَوْلِ وَيَحْدُثُ لَهُ الْوَسْوَاسِ And if a person can avoid doing that, squeezing the private areas to remove the urine, then that is better. But if there was a need for certain individuals because of their condition and they know their own bodies and there may be urine left, then for the need it is possible to be done. But otherwise there is no proof and this hadith is not established. The next hadith, عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم سأل أهل قبا فقال إن الله يثني عليكم فقالوا إنا نتبع الحجارة بالماء أو إنا نتبع الحجارة الماء رواه البزار بسند ضعيف وأصله في أبي داود والترمذي وصححه ابن خزيمة من حديث أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه بدون ذكر الحجارة فحديث ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he asked the people of Quba he said to the people of Quba those who live in the area of Quba he said to them that Allah praises you indeed Allah praises you as it's mentioned in the Quran so they said it is, it is because when we purify ourselves, we use the stones, but then we also use water on top of that. We use the stones, and we also use water on top of that. And that is narrated by Bazaar with a weak chain of narration. And the origin of this hadith is in Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi, and Ibn Khuzayma considered it authentic. He made authentication, authentication of it. And similarly, it is from the hadith of Abu Huraira without mentioning the stones. Quba, this is the question which the Prophet asked the people of Quba. Um, and Quba, it is famously read with a mud and a tanween, Quba'an, or Quba'un. And then you say, Ataytu Quba'an, Dhabtu ila Quba'in. So this is Quba, the people of Quba. And that is an area in Medina. Uh, and they, it was populated by a group of the Ansar who were known as Banu Amr ibn Auf. And when the Prophet ﷺ came, لَمَّا قَدِمَ النَّبِي صَلَّى مُهَاجِرًا نَزَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ He descended upon them. لأنهم على طريق القادم من مكة قبل أن يصل إلى المدينة. Because that was the pathway to get into Medina. Anybody coming from مكة getting to Medina, they would pass by Quba on the way. فنزل عليهم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he stopped with them. وأسس لهم هذا المسجد and he built this masjid, Masjid Quba. ثم لما كان يوم الجمعة مشى صلى الله عليه وسلم من عندهم متجها إلى المدينة. وَصَلَّ الْجُمْعَةَ فِي بَنِي سَالِمِ بْنِ عَوْفِ طَرِيقِهِ So when it was Friday, then the Prophet ﷺ left and headed towards Medina and prayed the Jum'ah prayer in uh, Bani Salim ibn Awf on the way. So that was, as it's mentioned in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, that he stops on the way in Quba first 
and he built that masjid and then he continued on. وَيُسْتَحَبُّ لِمَنْ زَارَ مَسْجِدُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْ يَخْرُجَ إِلَى مَسْجِدِ قُبَى وَيُسَلِّ فِيهِ اقْتِدَاءً بِالنَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِأَنَّهُ مَسْجِدٌ فِيهِ فَضْلٌ إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا يُصَافَرُ إِلَيْهِ وَإِنَّمَا تُسْتَحَبُّ زِيَارَتُهُ لِمَنْ كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ أَوْ جَاءَ زَائِرًا لِمَسْجِدِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ مَسْجِدُ قُبَى has virtues to it مَسْجِدُ قُبَى has certain virtues to it and for the people who are resident in Medina, who are living in Medina, or somebody who has gone to visit Medina, he is currently residing in Medina, he's gone there for a visit, to visit the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, then it is something liked, it is something recommended, that you go and visit Masjid Quba also. That you visit Masjid Quba because there are virtues to it. But Masjid Quba in of itself is not something that you travel to go and visit. Only if you happen to be in Medina anyway, because you went to see the Masjid of the Prophet and to pray in that, then you go to Masjid Quba too. But you don't go with the intention specifically of Masjid Quba. There are five places you should visit. And this is important for people who go on Hajj and Umrah. When you go to Medina, there are five places which are sunnah to visit. Just five. What are the five places which are sunnah to visit when you go to Medina? The masjid, obviously. The masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. To pray in that masjid. That is one. Masjid Quba. That's two. Go and visit Masjid Quba also. If you've gone to Medina and you visited the Prophet ﷺ masjid, then also it's good. Go and visit Masjid Quba as well. And pray in Masjid Quba. Five altogether, that's two so far. Two mosques we've mentioned so far. The Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, Masjid Quba. What are the other three places that are sunnah to visit if you go to Medina? Al-Baqi'ah. The graveyard of Al-Baqi'ah. The graveyard of Al-Baqi'ah. Which is right next to the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. That's three, two more to go. There's an obvious one everybody's missing. The Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, Masjid Quba, Al-Baqi'ah. Mm. You go to Medina, what else are you going to visit? What about the grave of the Prophet ﷺ? The grave of the Prophet ﷺ. The grave of the Prophet ﷺ. To visit the Prophet ﷺ, to, uh, uh, to uh, extend the salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. And also, that's four now. Shuhada Uhad. And that's five. Five places. Two mosques, three graves. Two mosques, three graves. Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, Masjid Quba. Three graves, the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, the graveyard of Al-Baqiyah, and the graves of the martyrs of Uhad. So you have five places, they are the sunnah places. Everything else that people make up, then it's made up. All these other places they go and visit and all of these tourist attractions and all of these people, they put you in their cars and they take you to this place and to that place and you miss your prayers in Al-Masjid al-Nabawi. Then it's not befitting that people, they go and they go on these tourist trips around Medina, visiting all these different places, all these tourist attractions. These taxi drivers, they take them all around and they show them around or their tour guides take them all around everywhere, and as a consequence, they even miss 
some of their prayers in Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi and they miss out on that reward and they end up praying in some other masjid where there isn't that reward linked to it. So that's not befitting. These are the five places for visitation. They are the places of the sunnah. So here, that's what's mentioned here about Masjid Al-Quba. And Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِّسَ عَلَى التَّقْوَى مِنْ أَوَّلِ يَوْمِنَا حَقُّ أَن تَقُومَ فِيهِ فِيهِ رِجَالٌ يُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَتَطَهَّرُوا That a masjid that has been built upon taqwa from the very basis, from the first day, that is the one that is befitting to pray within. In it are men who love to be pure. So that is all talking about Masjid Quba, as many of the Mufassirin they say. فَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَمْ يَخْرُجُ إِلَيْهِ كُلَّ يَوْمَ سَبْتٍ وَيُسَلِّ فِيهِ عَمَلًا بِأَمْرٍ أَوْ بِإِرْشَادِ رَبِّهِ لَهِ بِأَمْرِ أَوْ بِإِرْشَادِ رَبِّهِ لَهِ So the Prophet ﷺ used to go every Saturday. He used to go every Saturday to Masjid Quba and pray in it as a command from Allah or as a guidance from Allah for him to do that. وَذَلِكَ أَنَّ نَاسًا مِنَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ بَنَوْا مَسْجِدًا بِجَانِبِهِ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَصْرِفُوا النَّاسَ عَنْ مَسْجِدِ قُبَى وَذَلِكَ بِإِعَازِ مِنْ رَجُلٍ كَافِرٍ يُقَالُ لَهُ عَمْرَ الْفَاسِقِ كَانَ رَاهِبًا فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ وَلَمَّا هَاجَرًا فَسَلَّمْ حَسَدَهُ وَاغْتَاظَ مِنْهِ ثُمَّ خَرَجَ هَارِبًا مِنَ الْمَدِينَةِ فَأَعْوَزَ إِلَيْهِ الْمُنَافِقِينَ أن يبنوا مسجدا في هذا الحي من أجل الإضرار بمسجد قبا وبأهل قبا وليبتغوا من هذا الذي يسموه مسجدا مركزا لأهل الكفر والنفاق ليتربصوا الدوائر بالرسول صلى الله عليه وبالمسلمين. The story behind that مسجد قبا. The Sheikh mentions the story behind it here now. That مسجد قبا was built. Then the منافقين the munafiqeen, they wanted to build a place where they could gather and they could make their plans and their plots against the Muslims. They wanted a place where they could gather and make their plans and plots against the Muslims. So they built a mosque very close to Masjid Quba. And they said, some people are old, they can't go all the way to Masjid Quba, we need to build one a bit closer here. Sometimes it's cold at night, it's raining. They made excuses and they built another masjid just close by to Masjid Quba. They built a masjid. It was the munafiqeen though. They were making it look like a masjid, but really all of them were going to go in there so they could plot and plan and make all of their strategies against the believers. They needed a place to gather, a place to get together. But they built it like a mosque so nobody would get suspicious. People would just think they're in there remembering Allah, supplicating, gathering to do circles. Nobody would be suspicious. That's why they built it as a masjid. They even said to the Prophet ﷺ, come and pray in our masjid. Because then they thought, if the Prophet ﷺ comes and prays in this masjid, that will be a stamp of approval. Nobody would dare have any suspicions of us then. So they asked the Prophet ﷺ, come and pray in our masjid, we built a new masjid. The Prophet ﷺ at the time was out for the battle of Tabuk. He said, when I return, I'll come and pray in it. As he was returning, the revelation came down to the Prophet ﷺ telling him, about that masjid. لا تقوم فيه أبدا. Don't ever pray in that masjid. The revelation came down. And it became known that this masjid is a masjid built by the munafiqun, the hypocrites, who were building it for the purpose of attacking Islam by one of their individuals, Abu Amir al-Fasiq. He was known as this individual who used to be famous in Medina before the arrival of the Prophet ﷺ, a, a, a religious man, 
But when the Prophet ﷺ came, then his authority was lost. The Prophet ﷺ, everybody followed him and became Muslim. So he became very jealous. And he was the one who made the plot to build this masjid. So anyway, the revelation came down, the Prophet ﷺ realized what was going on. So then he sent some of the companions and they destroyed it. They burnt it down, they destroyed that masjid. And then if you look in the books of Sirah, some of the scholars, they say, that area close by to Masjid Quba, where this mosque had been built by the Munafiqeen, so in reality it wasn't really a masjid, it was just for their purposes of attacking Islam and building their plots and plans. It had been destroyed and used as a garbage tip afterwards. That area, some of the books of Sirah, they mention that that place was used as a rubbish tip afterwards. Because the Munafiqeen, they had tried to build this fake uh, place where they could plot against the Muslims. That was next to Masjid Quba. It doesn't exist anymore. It's burnt down. It's gone. No, the area, the, uh, that area, it's okay. Now it's okay. Now it's, uh, it's all gone, everything. But at that time, that masjid, it wasn't allowed to pray in it. And that's why the Prophet sent the companions and they got rid of it. burnt it, finished it. Mosque was gone. ثُمَّ إِنَّهُمْ بَعْدَ أَنْ بَنَوْا هَذَا الْمَسْجِدِ طَلَبُوا مِنْهُ سَسَلَمَ أَنْ يُسَلِّ فِيهِ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكَ بِمَثَابَةِ إِقْرَارِ مِنْهُ سَسَلَمْ لِهَذَا الْمَسْجِدِ فَيَكُونُونَ بِذَلِكَ قَدْ خَدَعُوا النَّاسَ وَمَوَّهُوا عَلَيْهِمْ فَهَذَا يَدُلُّكَ عَلَى أَنَّ الْأَشْرَارِ رُبَّمَا يَدْعُونَ الْأَخْيَارِ وَيَتَقَرَّبُونَ مِنْهُمْ لَا حُبًّا لَهُمْ وَإِنَّمَا لِأَجْلِ أَغْرَاضٍ أُخْرَى فَهَؤُلَاءِ دَعُوا الرَّسُولَ سَسَلَّمْ لَا حُبًّا لَهُ وَإِنَّمَا يُرِيدُونَ التَّمْوِيهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ like we mentioned, they invited the Prophet ﷺ so that they could get a stamp of approval. It wasn't because they loved the Prophet ﷺ. It wasn't because they loved the Prophet ﷺ that they wanted him to come and pray in their masjid. It was only because of their ulterior motive. That if the Prophet ﷺ prayed there, it would be a sign of approval to the people and no, no one would be suspicious. So this indicates, the Shaykh says, that sometimes the people, they may demonstrate love for the people of righteousness not because they really love them, but because they have alternative motives. Alternate uh, motives. Uh, and so the Shaykh mentions the story of what happened at that time, the full story about that masjid. And then afterwards, in the hadith, it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ asked those people that Allah praises you. In the Quran, like we mentioned the ayah, that Allah says, They like to be pure, these people of Quba. So the Prophet ﷺ said to them that Allah praises you. They said, uh, like the ISS, فِيهِ رِجَالٌ يُحِبُّونَ يَتَطَهَّرُوا In it are men who love to be pure. So they said because, the reason for that is because we use stones and water on top. That we use stones, but on top of that afterwards we use water as well. To make the purification even better, not to just use stones only. And that's why they said we've been praised by Allah. But the chain of narration is actually very weak and in reality the shaykh says this narration, the narration of the hadith, as for the story that's all true the story that we just mentioned about the munafiqeen building the masjid, all of that is true this hadith when the prophet ﷺ said to them why is Allah praising you, they said it's because we use stones and then we use water as well, that hadith has no basis to it that hadith la asla lah no, no, rather this hadith is weak but it does have a basis to it, rather. The opposite, sorry. The opposite. It, it is weak. The hadith is weak, but it does have a basis. It is weak, but it does have a basis. ضعيف ولكن له أصل في سنن أبي داود عن أبي هريرة بدون ذكر الحجارة 
وهو أنهم كانوا يستعملون الماء في الاستنجاء ولا شك أن الماء أبلغ من الحجارة وأطهر وأكمل And there's a narration in Abu Dawood from the hadith of Abu Huraira that those people, they used to use water rather than stones. They used to use water because water is more purifying and it is better to purify that area with. Um, and this is the reason that they were termed as pure. Uh, that's what's mentioned in that hadith. So there is a basis to that. In this hadith then there are certain issues. The first of them, Al-Mas'alatul Ula, Fihi Fadlu Masjidi Quba, وهذا ثابت في كتاب الله عز وجل لا مسجد نصص على التقوى من أول يومنا حق وانتقوم فيه. That the virtues of Masjid Quba are mentioned here, and that in the Quran Allah says a mosque that is built foundationally upon taqwa from the very first day, that is the one which is more deserving that you pray within. That is regarding Masjid Quba as many of the mufassirun they said. والقول بأن المراد بأول مسجد أسس على التقوى مسجد سلم لا يمنع أيضا أن يكون مسجد قبا أول مسجد أسس على التقوى. Some of the scholars say that the first mosque built upon taqwa was Masjid Rasul Sallam, al-Masjid al-Nabawi. However, that doesn't negate that Masjid Quba was also built upon taqwa. So that can also be within this ayah, that can also be within this meaning. المسألة الثانية فيه فضل أهل قبا وهم بنو عمر ابن عوف لأن الله أثنى أولا أثنى أولا على مسجدهم ثم أثنى عليهم بقوله فيه رجال يحبون أن يتظهروا Within this hadith is the virtues of the people of Quba that Allah praised them and praised the masjid that is there. And also uh, there are narrations that Masjid Quba like we said if you go and pray there uh, the Prophet ﷺ used to go and pray there every Saturday and it's encouraged for the people who live in Medina to go out to Masjid Quba and to pray in that Masjid. Al-Mas'alatu Thalitha, the third issue is فَضِيلَةُ اسْتِعْمَالُ الْمَاءِ فِي الْإِسْتِنْجَاءِ سَوَاءً جُمِعَتْ مَعَهُ الْهِجَارَةِ أَوْ اِقْتَصَرَتْ عَلَيْهِ وَهُوَ أَفْضَلْ مِنَ الْإِقْتِصَارِ عَلَى الْإِسْتِجْمَارِ That the person uses water and that is better than using just stones when doing istinja. That the person uses water as well as stones because doing that makes that area purer and cleaner. That's why even when a person uses tissue, for example, then you should still maybe use some water to go with that. That makes it clearer and better and purer that a person uses some water or wets the tissues, etc. So that is what's mentioned in those narrations and that is actually the end of the chapter Qada'il Haja about how to relieve yourself. So now over the last three or four or five lessons, however long it's been, We've gone over lots of the different things about how to use the toilet. All of the different things that are mentioned in the Quran, the Sunnah, or, or several of those various aspects that are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah, we've now covered them. The next chapter that we'll begin with next time is the chapter of Ghusl. How does a person do the Ghusl properly? The different Sunnah things that have been mentioned about the Ghusl, the Sunan the different ways or the mannerisms of doing the ghusl, the morals behind it, the behaviors that an individual engages in doing that, how a person does the ghusl and the rulings of al-janaba, when a person is in the state of uh, uh, major ritual impurity, then those issues we will discuss insha'Allah ta'ala and we'll carry on from there, insha'Allah ta'ala. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين